trash. My name is Sarah. My name is Nick, and we're from Radix Media. And you're listening to Paper Cuts. Paper Cuts. That was all right. Let's do that one more time. (laughs) In four. You're listening to Paper Cuts. Cue the music. We'll we'll run with that. I'm your host, Christopher Cardambicus, and you are listening to Paper Cuts, a podcast focusing on the zine and small press community. I'm here with my co-host, Jennifer Lillis. Jennifer, where are you joining us from? I am joining you from Northern Virginia, tucked away in my little bedroom. <laughs> and our guests today are from Radix Media in New York, Sarah and Nick. Uh, Sarah and Nick, where are you two at? I'm, uh, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm also in Brooklyn. Where at in Brooklyn? I'm in Flatbush. Uh, And I'm in neighboring Crown Heights. (laughs) Excellent. Um, And I'm just going to give a little blurb about Radix Media. Radix Media is a worker-owned and operated printer and publisher, producing beautifully designed books and ephemera. They publish new ideas and fresh perspectives, prioritizing the voices of typically marginalized communities to get to the root of the human experience. Um, I have several Radix Media publications, and I'm very excited to talk to you all about the work that you do. But to get things started, um, I'd love to hear you both talk about just generally how Radix Media came to be. Um, You're two people who are kind of the core of it, but how many people also helped co-found Radix Media? There's um, three worker owners and there's there's four people in the cooperative right now. Um, and uh, it's, it's, Radix Media is really like a conglomeration of a couple of different people and projects throughout the years that have come together in different ways. And um, so it was started by Lance, who is the other worker owner who's not here in Portland in, uh, about 10 years ago in 2010 uh, with just a press and a garage um, printing radical literature. (laughs) Um, And uh, he then moved to New York, um, I think in 2013, 2014, um, and joined- 2011. 2011? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Maybe I get the dates wrong. You can look them up on our website. We get the dates wrong. We'll get the facts. We have like, the facts will be kind of there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and he joined with um, OccuCopy. Um, he merged with OccuCopy at some point. And, um, uh, and, then, and then around 2017, I had another print shop in Brooklyn and we realized we were sort of trading work back and forth and had similar sort of ideas of what we wanted to do. And we uh, teamed up and, merged my little print shop with Radix Media. Um, and what was your print shop? It was called Wasp Print and uh, mostly doing just like letterpress, fine art, not like fine art, but like um, business cards and um, some fine art printing, wedding invitations, stuff like that. But I was also making a lot of political posters at the time. Um, 
and and kind of about that same time, um, right? Actually, right before I joined Radix Media, Sarah joined Radix Media. Is that right? Is that fact, yeah, that's, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I joined in 2017, and I think you joined later in 2017. Later in 2017. And and when and when I was talking to Lance and Sarah about joining, um, we sort of had this idea we're doing commercial printing right now, but we're all sort of creative people, so we want to kind of do something else with what we have. So we we had this idea to get into book publishing, um, to to start using the skills, the design skills, the production skills, and the equipment that we had to, to produce things that we really wanted to see in the world. That's great. And Sarah, what were you doing before you joined Radix Media? Um, I was a baker, <laughs> but um, I was also Producing a working. Kind of <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> Um, but I was also working at, um, at an independent publisher in the art studio, just like making book mock-ups and, uh, posters for, for marketing. Cool. And how does the, like, how does the curatorial part of Radix Media start or how does it work? How are you finding artists and authors to work with? Um, can you kind of lead us through what the production of a title entails? Um, so because we were like relatively new, we had been putting out like calls for submissions, like our very first book, Aftermath, Explorations of Loss and Grief. Um, that was a call for submissions and so was Futures. Um, which was like the box set that we put out last year, like some science fiction chapbooks. Um, so yeah, usually like one of us will either like see an artist that we like, or we'll have an idea and then we'll kind of like brainstorm um, how to like move forward. Um, I guess like each project has been a little different. So I guess I'll like walk you through like futures um yeah please which is like one of my favorite series that that you all have produced it i i don't have any favorites but that might be my favorite <laughs> it's at the top <laughs> um so we published a science fiction short story in aftermath and we really liked it and nick lance and i all realized that we really like science fiction so we were like let's have our next project be like just science fiction and then someone was like well what if we make it a series um and so then we just like developed it from there put out a call for submissions um and then like chose all of the chapbooks that we wanted to all of the stories that we wanted to publish um then went through editing designing like all of the covers, designing all of the interiors. Um, am I missing anything, Nick? I mean, the only thing I would, that, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it happened. Um, I mean, like in terms of, I was thinking about it 
at some point, because the, the first story we had was uh, John Dermot Woods, who's also we're trying to publish in the Kickstarter, which we can talk about later. later. But um, John had this story that, that we knew was going to work in the series. And he was, he's a cartoonist and an illustrator. So we sort of like, he, he wanted to do some drawings for it. So like we thought that sounded cool. So then we started to think about how to add art to some, to eat to all the books also. So then we either did some art ourselves or we paired each um, author up with an artist that we thought would kind of work with well with the story. Um, so we were sort of thinking about that too while we were um, conceiving of the project and and editing doing everything. It's um, yeah. And this book series is it's absolutely beautiful. It's really well printed. The visuals for the covers are are incredible. Um, Thank you. And to talk about the series a little bit more in terms of technical aspects, it's letterpress covers. The interior of the pamphlets are all digitally printed or digital they're offset? All, they're all offset printed. Um, yeah. There's like maybe a few little digital pages, but it's all offset, the inside, yeah. Great. And what's the edition size for, for this? We printed a thousand books. Um, some are individually, like part of the subscription, and some were in, are sold in a box set. Yeah, and then for the... For the box set, we made 500 um, box sets. Great. And you're printing all this in-house um, with your, your worker owners. I'm wondering like, where you got your design and printing chops from. Like what led you up to be able to produce these beautiful objects? Where did you learn how to print? Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you printed all of the covers. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I uh, I went to art school thinking that I would um, be a painter, and um, like didn't really like the painters themselves that much, and I thought the printmakers were really cool. So I got into printmaking in art school, and then after that, I started just working at. I got really into letterpress. I started working at a lot of letterpress shops, um, and learned the trade of printing there and, and where, where was this where did you go to school at uh the san francisco art institute so the, in the bay area i was working for people and then maybe about 10 years ago i moved to new york new york and worked for a lot of different people here um and and that yeah just like you know cut my teeth on the in the shops printing wedding invitations mostly um and uh so yeah so that's where the letterpress element comes and it's really fun to, uh, Sarah did really the, the majority of the design work for this. And it was really fun to work with her because we could sit down together and I could be like, this is, this is what's gonna work really well on the press. And yeah. then, you know, and then we could have this like great collaboration just sitting there in the same room going back and forth in terms of like, like what paper we're gonna use, what are the colors we're gonna print, you know? And Sarah was coming up with all these like awesome ideas and like, like and then, you know, we're just like feeding off of each other, I think a lot. Um, and Lance too, you know, the three of us kind of in the room together, all sort of bringing different things. Lance does the offset printing, most he does most of the digital and the offset. So we have sort of our little areas of expertise 
um, that we and we all sort of can bring those together and and what what comes out is really that collaboration between the three of us right now but that's the, what's so cool about the cooperative models that we're bringing people in um, hopefully all the time and we get new perspectives and stuff and there's not sort of one sort of hierarchical vision that just gets put out. Everybody at every level is sort of putting input into the into what the product's going to look like. That's excellent. I do want to get to like the structure of Radix Media as well, but Sarah, I also wanted to hear about your origin stories, I guess, as well. Like where did you learn how to print uh, and design? Um, I also went to art school. Um, I went to Parsons and um, I also saw like printmaking in the print shop kind of like as my <laughs> refuge. <laughs> um yeah it yeah that was like kind of like my safe space at school um but yeah i like studied illustration and also like uh took a lot of like printmaking classes i also worked at uh in the studio in the printmaking studio as a work study so i just like really fell in love with like printmaking and like making multiples um i also make zines so like i just like kind of learned how to design by like making my own zines and also like designing for like political projects and friends what seemed at the time like odd part-time jobs but um like in the arts um and but like looking back now they're kind of all like related like I I like interned for a couple of like I did a couple of graphic design internships um one for like a an online art dealer for children's art one for like a photographer um then like I worked at a with a bookbinder she made uh handmade like leather notebooks and that was a lot of fun oh that's um, great was that just like a single artist studio or was it, was it a larger project yeah it was uh like a single artist studio she was like a paper conservator conservationist i'm not sure what the proper way or to say it but like she conserved books um oh wow and so yeah she like started her own business like selling all of these like handmade books and so I was like binding the books and like also like tearing paper and like prepping all of the um signatures <laughs> um that was fun um and then I also worked like at a, at a rubber stamp store um which is where I learned how to use a plate maker that we use now at Radix. Um, oh, wow. We would take people's artwork and like turn it into this like rubber materi material. Um, we would like uh, be melting rubber in this like very tiny shop <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, like mounting it onto like wooden handles. Um, so like also multiples. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, and then like my last part-time job before uh, I started at Radix was uh, I was working for like a, a pretty large indie publisher in their art department. I was uh, making book mock-ups for their marketing department and also mounting um, posters to film core. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really large skill set. Yeah, like those jobs. Definitely. Yeah, it felt random as I was like going from job to job, but I see how it all like fits together now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like both of you coming from an art school background and kind of finding it at home in the print studio, I feel like is a pretty common art school narrative. So, so Jennifer and I both teach at George Mason University. And I feel like one of the difficulties with printmaking programs is that students don't enter art school knowing necessarily what printmaking is or what it entails. Like they might have an idea of what a painter is or what they do, or they at least know what a painting is. But if you tell them if they have no like real idea what an etching is leaving high school and going into college. So from the print studio, you get this like wonderful community of people that find a place for themselves they didn't know existed. And the print studio itself is such a community. It's like a very communal practice, right? You're forced to be printing with other people and helping each other out as you're there. So I feel like going from the print studio into like community-based practices um, is a pretty easy step to make, right? And I wonder about your history printmaking, if that like leads into some of the ethos of Radix Media and how you're trying to operate uh, as an organization, as a business. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that was a big thing for me working on my own in my own print shop. I just start, started to feel, I think a little isolated and like, I just wanted to be collaborating with people. I wanted to like work with people, but I also didn't want to like just turn it into a business where I was like having employees or something like that. Um, I just, I, yeah, I think I, I think I really uh, identify with that. And, and then that was my biggest reason for wanting to join Radix Media. Um, was for that collaborative input. Yeah, and and kind of to build off of what Nick said, um, I think we're also kind of like trying to tap into the history of like printmaking, like printers and like radical print shops um, where, you know, there have been like a lot of like radical printers who have been like embedded in their communities and like really helped like different movements um, with their printing. Um, and then also just kind of like our approach, you know, like Lance likes to say that, um, you know, there was a time when the printer was also the designer and the distributor. And so we're like kind of trying to like bring that back and really tap into that. Yeah, I, I I really love that about what you're what you're working on. And you know, I might just be reading into this as a bit of a science fiction nerd, but I feel like science fiction and radical politics go together really nicely. Um, yes. 
Certainly. That, I mean, that was like, that, that was part of the thing about thinking about futures is like, what, like, what, what world are we, I mean, this is conceived right after, like, uh, maybe a year after Trump is elected. And, and we're just starting to consider like, what, what future are we going to envision? You know, so it, it seemed at that time to be like a really prescient subject and um, way of approaching publishing something um, um, to do it this way. Yeah, and kind of like to tie that into like our publishing program in general, um, like a lot of radical publishers, like I feel like tend to like, publish more like non-fiction um, and Radix Media is like is also interested in like non-fiction but we're also really interested in like the inspiration that like fiction can can bring to people um, and like specifically like science fiction is a big part of that. Yeah, it's like very important to be establishing also a radical imagination. Um, Definitely. Along with the theory. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so we've been talking a lot about futures as a project, but you do have like an upcoming series that you're working on that are all uh, graphic stories, stories that are image-based, if I'm saying this correctly. And you're working with two illustrators that do have a history in uh, political projects being Molly Crab Apple and Ganzier, as well as others. And I'm sorry, I don't have Kickstarter up in front of me. So I'm blanking on the two other artists' names that you're working with for the Kickstarter. But can you tell us a little bit more about that project? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the other two artists are John Dermot Woods, who John was also part of the future series, um, and Matt L, who's illustrating, or yeah, he's a cartoonist for, for Mortals. Um, yeah, we haven't really published any graphic works, like we published like an artist chapbook by Sabrina Sintrong, which was like a collection of Inktober drawings. And we also published a coloring book um, with Just Seeds Art. Um, but we don't have like any comics. And so like, we're all really interested in like comics and graphic novels and really wanted to like put some work out there. Um, but we're a really small print shop and uh, pandemic hit us really hard. So we like needed some like community support to get the, the projects out. Um, so we're in the middle of a Kickstarter right now. We have um, eight days to go and we're 70% of the way there. I'm like really hopeful. I think we're gonna make it. <laughs> um, yeah, and so we have Fanning the Flames, which is a coloring book featuring Molly Crab Apples, like early, drawings from her days when she was um, documenting like the burlesque scene. We also have um, the Solar Grid, which is Ganzier's um, serialized graphic novel, which we're all very excited for. Um, 
And then we also have Mortals by John Dermot Woods and Matt L. And that's like a, a graphic novella about this guy named Francis who's like an aging theater actor um, and is kind of like faced with the mortality of like his life and career. He's like kind of a curmudgeon and um, I know his like his son kind of like gets him to get get his stuff together. Um, I just realized I didn't really go into the solar grid. Uh, Nick, do you want to go into the details for that? Uh, sure. The Sol yeah, the solar grid's a pretty exciting book. gonzier has been working on it for five years so far, and I think he's still maybe not done. So <laughs> <laughs> um, he's still finishing, which is amazing. But um, it's a it's just like an epic sci-fi graphic novel um, that it takes place over many different ages, um, but it's essentially about a massive climate catastrophe in which the world is flooded and ownership and uh, sorry the ownership of water becomes privatized um it's just a really just I, it's a wonderful book um uh and it's yeah it's going to be serialized similarly to the futures series and then um so we're going to be sent i think there's 10 going to be 10 issues so we'll send out one every month for 10 months um, and then maybe do a box set at the end. We'll see. Um, yeah. That's so awesome. I can't wait for those to start hitting my mailbox. Yeah. Um, I pledged to the Kickstarter and that was my, uh, my thing that I checked off on. Yeah, awesome. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Gonzir is someone that we, we did publish another book with last year. Um, we are all That's things, right. which, uh, is like, it's, it's a very unique book. It's like, it feels like a, like a long form prose poem with illustrations, um, but it's in sort of that same chapbook format. Uh, the illustrations he did are beautiful and it's written by uh, Elliot Kala. It's, it's a really cool book, you should check it out. Um, but I think we're always sort of looking for different ways we can utilize the equipment we have, the people we know, to highlight the stuff we really like. Um, and this was just sort of a project that's snowballed over the past year year in terms of these three different um, projects. And we sort of linked them together, seeing that, that there was a lot of sort of similarities, but they're all gonna be totally different stories and totally different products. But it's 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 cool, it's fun. It's I think, it, I think it's really stretching us in terms of what we've done before and what, where we're going next, um, but that's that's what we like to do. Um, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes we just get in the middle of it and sort of figure it out as we're going. <laughs> um, but but, but, but we were able to do that because we have sort of all of these different, we, we all have sort of these areas of expertise again, and we're all sort of like, maybe I'm not sure how this is gonna, go and Lance is like I know exactly how this is gonna happen you know or something like that like we we can figure it out as we're going I think in in in, the, in our format definitely can I'm gonna backtrack really yeah. quick and like talk about the solar grid <laughs> yeah, yeah um <laughs> like uh like talking about world building like Gonzier has like really like built this like whole world around the solar grid. If you go to, I think it's the solar grid.net maybe, like 
there's like all kinds of art there's like a, a playlist that goes along with the solar grid um and it's he had, really like, cool josh mcphee write an essay about like martian graffiti or something or lunar graffiti right yeah yeah <laughs> there's all funds of like all sorts of fun stuff in there i think molly crabapple has like some art in there also that's so awesome so do these four books kind of lay out what radix media is going to be working on for the next like year in terms of publishing or what's the how do, i guess how do you see these four projects existing in your re, in your upcoming timeline um sarah you probably know the timeline better but i think it's going to be more than a year i think by the time we're finished with with solar grid mortals and fanning the flames it's going to be into 2022 is that right yeah that that's correct yeah and then we also have some other um titles lined up um one of them is so we recently like launched a chapbook prize called the own voices chapbook prize mm -hmm. where um we had a guest judge pick a poetry manuscript um the first one is going to be like there were two winners one of the winners is going to be published this year and the second winner is going to be published in 2021 and then we have some other things that we're like working on um that are not ready to talk about <laughs> our, it's interesting because um our timelines i think are getting a little bit longer in terms of our planning but they but they're often much shorter than a traditional publisher we we could like we can conceive of a project and like have it produced within a full year um which is a, i think a little wild for most publishers usually because they're outsourcing all their production um whereas we're doing literally everything in-house so we're not waiting for anyone um sometimes it makes our own lives like a little hellish in terms of the schedule uh but but it's I think it's the the advantage. The, it's like one another one of the advantages that we have, and it allows us to come out with things that are timely and we think are, you know, ready ready to go out the door, um, a little bit faster. Yeah. Yeah. So how does the timeline normally work? So kind of like how much time goes into planning and then into production, on like an average project. For Radix or traditional publishing? Um, I mean, for Radix. <laughs> I mean, for example, Own Voices was conceived of in January, and we're publishing the first one in November. Oh, wow. Um, so that's less than a year. Yeah, that's great. Some things are taking a little bit longer, and now that we're doing a little bit more we're publishing a little bit more. I think that maybe some of those timelines will be extended, but it's about a year, right, Sarah? Yeah, I would say so. Like thinking about all of our projects, I think they've all like from like concept to like publishing, um, it's all been like about a year. So I feel like I'm gonna bring up the C word. 
COVID. <laughs> um, yeah, because I like something that I was like really Nick was talking about was just kind of being able to just like try it out on equipment. That's kind of like one of the things that I'm really drawn to with print making. Like, well, let's see what happens when it goes to a press, right? And so on. My first question would be kind of like, what type of equipment do you guys have in your studio that you work with? And then um, to kind of lead into like extending the question and kind of like, how has the studio shifted since this whole quarantine thing started with you guys? Like, I saw you guys just started coming back in the studio recently. So it's kind of like, how was that? How, and how is it working? How are we functioning? Yeah. Uh, or like, how's the space functioning too? Well, it's. And it's, you as humans. Like, how, how are you guys doing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to answer the human part, Sarah? <laughs> I mean, I can only really answer for myself. <laughs> we're all doing all right. Um, we're all um, trying to balance, um, trying to figure out like work schedules. Um, Nick and Lance both have kids, so like they're they have like more constraints. Um, yeah. I don't know how to answer this question. To be it, I mean, it, 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 it's it's difficult. We are a physical space. We are a commercial print shop. So we, you know, if anyone needs anything printed, we're available to do that. Um, we, you know, so we we do have to get things done. Obviously, during COVID, we had to shut down, and then we sort of slowly came back as as the city opened up a little bit and businesses started opening up. Um, we came back and tried to, we've been trying to, you know, get through a backlog of work, but also trying to find new work and keep work going. But it is hard with scheduling. Um, and we've tried to sort of keep a socially distanced schedule so that we're like one or two of us in the shop at the same time, you know, masking up and stuff like that. But it is hard to run a business where you're physically producing things, you know, this is not yeah. something that we can do completely remotely we, we try and do as much as we can um but but you know you just you can't um it, you know and, and in some ways you know people like to talk about printing being a dying art but it's like it still exists um and there's still a lot of use for it and there's still print a lot of print shops out there a lot of people are being hit very hard and it's difficult to to keep doors open um, I think the publishing side has really kept us going, um, you know, emotionally and <laughs> to have like a, a big project to work on, you know, and not feel like we're just waiting for other people to bring work in. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, but we, you know, we, we do have our presses going. Um, yeah. I don't in terms in terms of equipment, we have um, we have a, a digital press, which is a Xerox. Um, we have a wide format machine. Is that what you call it, Nick? <laughs> wide format machine, wide format press, printer. Um, and then we also have a Vandercook, a windmill, and an offset press. Yeah, and we have some bookbinding equipment. Um, and paper cutter and uh, plate making plate making equipment. So we make like letterpress plates in house. We make the offset plates in house. Yeah. We try and bring as much as we can in, in into the shop. 
Oh, we just got a shrink wrapping machine at the beginning of the year. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> a shiny new toy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess another thing that I was curious to hear you both talk about is kind of the, the relationship between the publishing side of Radix and the print shop side. And you're saying that, you know, at this point or at this moment, the publishing side is keeping you like emotionally up and afloat. Um, but how do those two uh, bifurcated sides of Radix Media like work together? How do they work in relationship to each other? Because my assumption is that the print shop, like the, the printing business you do helps to float the publishing. It does, it does. And that's like a, a part of the idea in the beginning is that we have a print shop so we can, the, the publishing work that we want to do, we can sort of slip it in between all of the commercial work and we can do it sort of whenever we, we want to, you know, it's, um, there's not like a, I mean, there are deadlines for it, but you know, we, we can usually get it in there a little bit easier. Um, but at our hope, I mean, in the beginning, obviously you have to get the commercial work to sort of fund the other art stuff that you want to do. But our hope is that at some point we can create more balance. And I think we're starting to see that way so that they are really complementary and they're working together. Um, so that, you know, when a pandemic hits and the print shop closes, we still have income selling books, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think, I mean, that's like just an, you know, an amazing thing, just to like ha be doing some different types of stuff um, and have them talk to each other a little bit. I mean, in some ways it's like cool to see other people's book designs and then we get to have ideas um, for whatever project we're gonna do next. Um, or, uh, you know, they do, they do interact a lot, you know, they help and they, I think they help and support each other. Right. Is there another part to that question? I don't think so. I think that was a pretty thorough answer. Um, we've been talking a lot about like what what Radix Media does and your roles within Radix Media. Um, but since you both have a a creative practice, a printmaking practice, are you working on anything outside of Radix Media that is like part of your artistic work? Or do you even have time to do that? Um, well, the past couple of years since I joined Radix, like I've like pretty much just like devoted all of my time to Radix. Um, and part of that is also um, like to become a co-owner my um, investment into the business was sweat equity. So just like my labor. Um, and so I was, I think it was like my first or like six months after I joined Radix, um, like after my work day or my work week, then I was also like working on aftermath, um, like as my sweat equity project that was like kind of like building out our our publishing um so like that took a lot of my time <laughs> um you have and, done some cool creative things recently though yeah yeah i feel like one of the 
good things about the pandemic is I'm home all the time. And so I have like figured out a way to like start making things again. Um, I am like working on a new zine and like I've been part of like a couple of like pretty cool like uh, art projects. Like um, I made a little graphic for this Afrofuturist project called the Black Fusionist Society, um, which is kind of like the story of like people that survived uh, this massacre in like Wilmington, North Carolina, I want to say, like in the 1800s. So the Black Fusionist Society is kind of like this society that like came out of like these women that kind of like um, were able to survive and were able to like save some children. And so it's like, what do these people do? And like, what's their culture? Um, so I made a graphic of like different herbs that they they use to like stay stay well um and then i also like participated in this um art show called ransom too um as part of the brooklyn wayfarers gallery it's like someone wrote a poem and then like each word in the poem was um illustrated or drawn by a different person so that it reads like a ransom note it's, it's really fun oh wow that sounds incredible. That one's really cool. Yeah. Nick, you have some stuff going on too, right? Posters? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, again, it's like, what do you do when you're at home? I usually make a lot of like handset type political posters. I really enjoy doing that. Um, either like collaborating with different groups or just actions or people doing stuff, um, trying help help out and the, I really find that to be like fun and creatively fulfilling for me so it, it's been difficult to not be in the shop all the time doing that right now especially with so much stuff going on um, but I, I was able to like figure out a way to to pretend like I'm making letterpress posters on my computer so that's been a, a lot of fun um, and I've just been designing you know political posters eventually digital digital political digital handset type letterpress political posters yeah nick made some really cool um digital handset type posters um uh for the uprisings um and then i think also like during the pandemic kind of i can't remember what they were yeah we did some for uh to support the people in prisons who are not being let out um, fast enough when there's a pandemic ravaging through the prisons. So um, that was that was pretty pretty uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions as well. Like with in history that the history of print studios in politics was going to be if you two individually or Radix Media as a group was getting more involved with the with what's happening right now, providing images, printing posters, anything for for the marches and protests that's been happening. Definitely, I mean that's that's like a big um, 
that's 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 I'd say a big part of what we do um, is to support organizations, political organizations, nonprofit organizations, with printing and design, um, and so, some of that is just us printing something like and walking a few blocks to Barclays Center and handing out posters, or sometimes that means someone hiring us to print a you know twenty foot long banner. So that led like takes many different forms, but that is, I would say the, the like it's like the root of what we do. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we also were part of. There was this like um, group called the Print Justice League. Um, it was like print shops. It started in New York, I think, and then kind of like. Uh, spread out across the country, um, like different print shops uh, that were just like offering their services to like different organizations and people um, organizing protests. I think maybe Endless Editions maybe like started, started it. Yeah, I was about to say, I think I saw PJ mentioned something about that on on social media and there was like a a spreadsheet going around yeah yeah, yeah that was it <laughs> awesome and then nick at some point off the record jennifer and i both might have to ask you about digital handset type on the computer as we're both going to be or we are we are teaching we're teachers we're educators and teaching online during a pandemic, especially printmaking, is uh, is something. Something else. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it is something. Well, what I, I mean, just to say one thing about that is, I don't. I think, like in terms of learning design, handset type was like the most important thing that I did to like teach me how to do design. Because you have to like really grapple with physical objects, you know, yeah. and you're working within a lot of constraints. Like, you only have one typeface you can use, so you have to make that one look cool, you know. Um, but so now, when I go to design, because I'm coming from the print world, I actually have a hard time designing just with digital fonts um, and just with a blank screen. Uh, to me, that's very difficult. So what I tend to do is like scan stuff and then and then arrange it that like more like I would on a letterpress mm -hmm. than, um, than just looking at the screen and saying I have as many colors as I want, as many typefaces as I want. Um, I, I like tend to limit myself that way and just work with whatever I can scan essentially. Um, so like when I say handset type digital posters, I'm essentially taking my old posters and I cut out each letter and like rearrange it into a uh -oh. new poster. It's a little bit weird and labor intensive, but to me it creates it creates that feeling of handset type poster when you when you do it that way. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I feel like it adds like a nice dimension to it. Yeah, and it's it's imitated in some typefaces, right? They'll have like the rustic look, you know. But then when you repeat letters, it's like the same, and it ends I was up like that scratches there over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, 
you know. How's that same H appearing yeah. twice in one word? Right. Yeah. So if I was like, someone wants to be a digital printmaker, I would be like, go take pictures around your house of different textures or something like that, you know, or like go, yeah. go find real things and then turn them digital. You know, that, that, that's like my approach. Yeah, and I, don't know, I think there's just something so important about the physicality of the print studio and how that changes your relationship to images as you're building them up and how that changes your relationship to design. Um, I always feel like the students that come into our print studio, if their graphic designers come out as better designers because they've had to physically work with materials and understand how things function, um, rather than just like clicking around on a computer. Yeah. And Sarah, like similar to you, like I gained any of my uh, knowledge in design through zine design uh, yes. as a student. <laughs> Yeah, it's that, it's that same approach, like cut, cutting and pasting, you know, yeah. having to work with the, the physical thing. Um, I think, yeah, you can learn a lot from that. Yeah, and I find that like I, my favorite designs have been designs that use like more hand-drawn elements. Like if I like draw something and then scan it in and then manipulate it versus just like doing everything on the computer. Yeah. And that just to, to bring it back to Radix Media and, and what we do in our process in publishing, like with futures, I think we chose all the paper colors before we designed anything. Yeah, we did. Oh, wow. right? So that's like, that's like, let's work, let's work backwards from the papers because then we know what the colors are. Yeah. And then we, and then we can, you know, it, it's just like, yeah, it's a different way of approaching, I think, than just coming up with something on the computer. Yeah. That's excellent. Well, thank you. Um, before we wrap this up and let you get on with your evenings, um, since like the zine and printing community is that it's like a tight knit community, um, I'd like to hear a suggestion from each of you as to who our listeners should check out, like another publisher or another printer. Um, I know that as publishers, we actually just talked about a whole lot of people that you're working with that everyone should check out. <laughs> um, but who's like a publisher or printer that you think is doing some some work that is deserving of immediate attention or is just like inspiring for you? Sarah, you go first. No? Oh man, um, I, I just bought these like comics from a publisher during uh, the virtual Brooklyn art book fair. And like, I just fell in love with their stuff, but I can't remember. Paradise Systems, Paradise Systems is really cool. Um, and I don't know, there's so many people that I really love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry to put you on the spot like this without warning, because it's getting. Like... Oh, that's all right. The the person that always comes to mind to me is is Amos Paul Kennedy, and I, I my guess is that most people know his work. If you're if, if you're interested in printmaking, um, but if you don't, you really should check it out. He he's really awesome. He has he has a show 
that's opening at the Poster Museum in New York, which looks oh, awesome. Okay. But Amos, uh, it's all handset type letterpress posters. And there's just like this really cool raw feeling to them. Um, uh, like he just has an idea. It's like, it feels like he has an immediate idea and he just puts it down and it becomes a poster and goes out in the world. Um, and there's just a lot of, uh, I don't know, just a, a lot of passion behind it in terms of printing and letterpress and his messages. Um, oh, and an, a small press that's um, kind of like, that's very similar to Radix, but based in um, in Monterrey, in Mexico, is Arreboso. Um, they're good friends of ours, and like they kind of like did the opposite, where they started out as publishers, um, translating like radical texts into English or Spanish, and then now they're like moving into like more commercial print work. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, thank you, too. <laughs> um, where can people get more information about either well, of Radix Media, like where people follow, or also like your own personal practices, if you have Instagrams or websites that you'd like to share, now is the time. Radixmedia.org. And all of our social media handles are Radix Media. Um, and then my very tiny personal Instagram um, is etc. Um, let's see, how do you? It's etc underscore etera underscore. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> children follow me on social media. I see lots of pictures of, of children. <laughs> uh, and posters. Yeah, and the But yeah, please check us out on on and uh, take a look at our Kickstarter and get Well, Sarah and Nick, once again, thank you for taking the time out to join us. Um, I'm very excited about all the new Radix Media things coming up. Thank you.